Does absolute truth matter? Can we know absolute truth? Why does doctrine and theology even matter? We'll discuss that and more on this episode of The Theological Patriot. This episode of The Theological Patriot is sponsored by the world's best cinnamon rolls. If you haven't experienced these, head on up to Takema and go to Master's Hand and get the world's best cinnamon rolls. If you don't believe me, just drive by their shop. Uh, they have signs all up the highway that says they have the world's best cinnamon rolls. And if you talk to Susie, she will show you their trophy. So if you want the world's best cinnamon rolls, go to mastershandcandles.com. Now, why does theology matter? Does it matter? Can we truly know anything? One pastor once told me, everyone is a theologian. The only question is, what kind of a theologian are you going to be? Are you going to be a good theologian that is willing to learn and willing to do the work to figure things out, to answer questions that you may have? Or are you going to be a bad theologian and just accept things for how they are? Don't do any research. Don't look into anything. Just take people at their word. What kind of a theologian do you want to be? And if you're a Christian today, you need to be a good theologian because there are so many people that are looking for answers. When you turn on your TV and you see riots, when you see young people doing all kinds of things that would be completely unheard of five, ten years ago. They're looking for something that makes them feel significant. They want to feel like they're making a change because they're missing something in their life. They're searching for something. If someone comes to you and they ask you, what do you have in your life? What will your answer be? Will you have an answer to give them? Or will you stumble over yourself and not necessarily have, no, you may not know what you believe and why you believe it that you may think I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to talk down to anybody about that. I have been in the exact same place, but it is important that you be ready to give an answer. First Peter chapter three, 
he tells us that you need to be ready in season and out of season to give an answer for the hope that is within you. Always be ready. So how are you, how are you always ready? How do you prepare for a marathon? If I wanted to run a marathon, do I just put my shoes on, put some shorts and a shirt on, and go and run run 26.2 miles? I could maybe run one or two miles, but I couldn't run a marathon because I hadn't prepared. How do you get ready to give an answer? How are you always ready? You study. You do the work. You read the scriptures. But as you read the scriptures, it's important that you have correct theology. That it's very easy for people with degrees and letters in front of uh, in front of and behind their name to tell you something and you take it for granted because of some degrees that they have but that's not how we're supposed to live our lives in the book of acts chapter 17 verse 11 the apostle paul talks about the church in Berea. He says that these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they listened to what we said, and they searched the scriptures daily to see if what we were saying was true. So I don't care how many doctorates you have, you're not one with more authority than the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is saying, these people were taking what we were saying and going back to the scriptures to, making sure, to make sure that what he was saying was true, that he wasn't telling them a lie. When was the last time that you sat in your church, you listened to a sermon and the pastor did a fantastic job, you felt really good whenever you left? And then after you left that service, you went back and looked at the notes, looked at listened to the sermon again, and made sure what he was saying was true. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you checked what the scripture said against what the pastor said? In order to do that, you have to do the work of a theologian. That you have to be willing to go back to the scriptures. And you may say, be saying to yourself, but I don't, I don't really have time. That's a lot of work. 
It is a lot of work, but that's how you get better. My sister-in-law does rowing. She teaches several rowing classes. Do you think one day she was just walking around outside? She saw a rowing machine, thought, hmm, that looks fun. I bet I can teach a class on that. Just hopped on and was good at it. You think Michael Phelps jumped in a pool one day and all of a sudden he's winning gold medals? Or do you think Michael Phelps spent hours upon hours agonizing and analyzing every single stroke till he could be the best in the world? Now, I'm not saying that every single person has to be able to read Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and be able to parse verbs and be able to break things down into tenses and all of that. I'm not saying everyone needs to do that. But you have to be willing to dig into something. Because the only way that you're going to mature in your faith is if you do some work. You look at the scriptures. You look at Hebrews. The author of Hebrews telling the church. And he, the author's talking to people that have been Christians for years. And he says in Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, he says, By this time... You ought to be teachers, but yet you have need again for someone to teach you elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have, and you have come to need milk instead of solid food, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. He is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Do you eat the solid food of the scriptures? Or are you like an infant? You still drink only milk. Are you doing any work? Are you studying anything? Do you study your Bible at all? And when you look at very you look at the scriptures 
and you look at what does it mean? What is what is doctrine? What does that even mean? Basic definition of doctrine is what you believe about something. That you have a doctrine for everything. You have a doctrine about laws. You have a doctrine that I'm going to follow these laws. I have a doctrine of following speed limits. I have a doctrine about eating certain foods and not eating certain foods. It's what you believe about something is the basic definition of doctrine. But concerning Christianity, who is God? You read Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. There's a lot that you could unpack there. When was the beginning? Was it 5,000 years ago? 10,000 years ago? A million years ago? 10 billion years ago? When was that? What you believe about that is a doctrine about your belief in some kind of creation. So in the beginning, you, you have a doctrine about that. God. Well, who is God? Is he just some spirit out in the cosmos? Is he the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Three persons of the Trinity, yet one God? Is he Allah? Is he Elohim? Who is this God that was there in the beginning? And you go throughout the scriptures and you can study about and come up with a certain belief. But the important thing is, as you're reading the scriptures and coming up with various doctrines, you make sure that those doctrines are coherent with the rest of scripture. That on this podcast, we discussed one doctrine called Arianism. The belief that Jesus was the first of God's creation, that he wasn't eternally with God. And the implications of that are that Jesus is not on the same level as God, that when the Pharisees come to Jesus in John chapter 8, and they talk to him about these, these miracles that he's doing. And when Jesus says in 
verse 58 of John 8, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now that those two words, I am, that should take you back to the burning bush in Exodus, where Moses is asked, asks God, who should I say sent me when the people ask? And God says, tell them, I am who I am, that I am sent me, the God that has always been. Jesus is saying here in this passage, he is the same. When he uses that phrase, I am, he is saying, I am Yahweh. That God that you read about in the Old Testament, that's, I, I was there. In the beginning, when God spoke everything into existence, that was through me. That John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is saying, I was there at the beginning. I was there at creation. You put so much merit in Father Abraham. I am greater than Abraham. And the next verse says, so they picked up stones to throw at him. Why did they pick up stones? Because Jesus was claiming to be God. That today, we have this battle going on about spiritual things. Is there such thing as a world outside of the physical? You may have a friend that says, I only believe what I can see and I can touch and I can smell. Anything that I can that I can feel with my senses, that's what I believe in. So there are some people today that they have no problem believing in a historical person named Jesus because we can go back and see the documents that talk about this man in, named Jesus. And this man that was named Jesus that was crucified by the Romans and they put a they put a placard up on the cross that said King of the Jews. There there is documentation about those events. So there are people that have no problem believing in a physical man named Jesus. They'll say that he was a good teacher. The problem is when you claim that Jesus was not just a man. When you claim that Jesus was fully and truly man, but at the same time, truly and fully 
God. That he was both God and man at the same time in the same person. That's when people start to question you and start to really have problems. And honestly, there are, there's a battle on truth. Can you have any truth? Is there any foundation for what you believe? That the doctrine of relativism is so rampant today that you believe what you believe and I believe what I believe and that's fine as long as you don't try to tell me what I believe is wrong and I don't try to tell you what you believe is wrong then we can live in harmony and we'll be fine but the problem is if the foundation of what I believe disagrees with what you believe, then how am I going to put any merit in what you say? That there has to be some kind of a foundation for what is right and wrong. Because if there's no foundation, then can there be anything that's wrong? That if you say... that I don't believe in gravity. You can have that belief all you want, but there are laws that are set out. There are foundational laws. There are things that are set out that no matter what you say, you believe about them. They're true whether or not you believe them. Because if you say you don't believe in gravity, I'll take you up in an airplane and we'll find out real quick if you believe in gravity. That if there's no foundation, the only thing that can come about from that is chaos. That there must be some kind of a foundation for right and wrong. Because if there's no foundation, then you can't build a society and societies will crumble. So you can believe what you believe, but at the same time, I can tell you, no, what you believe is wrong. And I can back it up because I have a standard upon which I base things. That it doesn't matter how you feel about something. The question is, is it true? Is it right? And when I say, is it true? I mean, capital T, true. Can you back it up with facts and statistics and documentation and show me what you believe and 
that I can have no doubts that that's true. If you say you don't believe in gravity, I can go out and show you real quick that gravity exists. There's no debating that. That there is a force that pulls things down to the ground. That you can feel like that's not true. But that doesn't matter. It is true. That you can feel like a man can be a woman and that there's a hundred different genders and who am I to tell you anything else. But when you look at science and you look at data and you look on the microscopic level, there are two genders. There is male and there is female. And you know what? That's a doctrine. Everything has a doctrine, a set of beliefs about something. And why, why does doctrine matter? Because that's how you base your life. That if you believe that you can do whatever you want, that no one can tell you you're wrong, that you're going to live your life, you're going to do whatever makes you feel good, you have a specific doctrine. You're going to build your life on that. I happen to build my life upon the scriptures to believe what is true. That what God says is written within the 66 books of the Bible. And I'm going to base my life on that. I'm going to base my life on Jesus being the second person of the Trinity. Being God coming to earth, physically living and physically dying. Being truly human, human, fully and truly human. Physically dying and physically being resurrected three days later. I will base my life on that. So doctrine matters because that's what you base your life upon. That's the foundation that you build your life on. So my question for you, what is your doctrine? What do you build your life upon? What is that foundation? And that if you don't have that solid foundation, then what, what significance is there in this life? Build your life on a solid foundation and you will survive in this world. Doctrine matters and I encourage you read the scriptures 
and build that firm foundation that Jesus laid. I'm Jeff Rubidoux, and I'm the Theological Patriot.